Hey everyone, and welcome to the Work Friends Podcast, where we bring meaningful conversations to you. I'm Jen Brubaker, and I'm here with my co-host, work and real friend, Ainsley Stanley. This season, we invite you to lean in as we talk about leadership. Join us as we sit down with seasoned leaders who are passionate about being the hands and feet of Jesus, regardless of their title or role. We talk about identity, leading and following well, discernment, and so much more. Today on the podcast, we have Kurt Erb, who is the Associate Director of Programs at Aero Leadership, as well as our class leader. And today we're going to talk about his journey into leadership, lots of things that he's learned along the way, as well as how grief has played a part in his journey, both as a person and as a leader. It's an awesome conversation. So check out Aero Leadership resources, do something spontaneous, do whatever you need to do, and enjoy today's episode. Kurt, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we know you through Arrow. You're our class program leader. And um, before we dive in and before we ask you any questions, I just wanted to thank you for the way that you have pastored both Ainsley and I and the rest of our class so well. Even over email, I just like read your emails. I'm like, <laughs> wow, I just feel so well cared for by Kurt. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for joining us here on Work Friends. We're really excited to chat with you today. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Amazing. Well, we start every episode with some fun facts just so listeners can get to know you a little bit before we dive into our conversation. So question number one, what is your ideal day? Oh, okay. So when I think of an ideal day for me, it would probably be a mix of purposefulness and randomness. Um, Ooh. Yeah. So I, I want I want my day to include great things, but I also don't want to be totally scripted. I want to have the freedom to use the time the way I want. But I know that if I do that for a whole day, at the end of the day, I might feel a bit disappointed. So I want I want some good things to be in it. So I would definitely want good food and good people. Um, yeah, I'd pro- depending on where I'm at, um, like location wise, I'd want to be outside for part of the day. Um, that that whole thing about random and purposeful is that I sort of struggle in my life generally to stay on track because I can tend to veer toward the spontaneous. And then the problem with that is that things don't get done. The things I, I'm passionate about, things that are important to me. So I need to have... I need to have some randomness, but I also want to make sure that there's things that I can look back on and say, that was a great day because of these things. So, yeah. Mm. So story would be another thing I would involve in my day. Um, You know, that might be watching something or or reading a good book or, um, yeah, it would be those kinds of things that I would, would want to include. Beauty, taste, yeah. I like it. I love the way that you describe that as well, that you want to include things like story and beauty and taste, like not just, I want to have this specific meal and have these specific people, but the general theme of those things. And to the self-awareness to know about the spontaneous versus structured and planned is is also interesting to hear too. Sounds like a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, who would they be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did think about this. Um, and 
you know, of course, I, I would like to spend time with Jesus, um, but there's many others. And when I think when I thought more about that, I thought, you know what? I can spend time with Jesus like today. So I'm going to take him off this list. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, knowing that, yeah, because I've recognized that that is that he's actually very accessible to me. So, mm. um, I've thought about who my favorite Bible character is in the Old Testament, and it would be Jonathan, who was the friend of David. And... I sort of understood early in my life that I'm like a Jonathan or I aspire to be a Jonathan. I want to mm. be the kind of person who can champion someone who is, you know, really anointed by God to do great things. And uh, so, and I love how Jonathan was very much his own person, but he also recognized God's plan in David and he supported he sacrificed he you know for that good plan to be accomplished and he didn't put himself forward when he could have or he didn't orchestrate things to do away with david to clear the way for himself like that kind of thing so yeah i think it'd be really interesting um to have time with jonathan um Someone who is dead would be Rich Mullins. He was a, um, a recording artist who is a Christian. Um, and what was different about him, his music was impactful to me. Um, Rich Mullins, I'm actually just, it's in my mind because I'm reading a book. It's about 20 years ago that he was, he died in a car accident. He was the kind of guy who was very raw um, and real, but also very compassionate and I think very self-aware. Um, he did things like, like he became popular beyond what he thought I think would be possible. So he did things like he told his management people to just give him an everyday working man's salary and not let him know how much money he'd made, basically. Wow. Uh, he he lived on a, a Navajo Indian reserve and taught music to kids, to First Nations kids. Um, yeah, he was that kind of a person who, yeah, I don't know. I, he's the kind of person I would love to be like. And I also, mm. I spoke about beauty earlier. He had a unique and beautiful way of, with words and with melody, it was different it was inspiring to me. So I think it'd be very interesting. And, and as I've read about him, he was just so open to people and interested in them. I think it would be a great conversation. Um, the third person would be my daughter Bronwyn, who's actually in England right now. And it would be wonderful just to have dinner with her tonight with my wife, Rowena. I think that would be amazing. So she's there working and doing great. And, and we talk often but it'd be nice to be together so mm. yeah so that's who I thought of and then there's other friends and people that just don't fit into my normal everyday stuff I guess mm -hmm. mm. sounds like a good dinner party mm. I like it <laughs> uh what's a word that you would describe your current season we took this one from you <laughs> 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 yeah after each intensive what word are you oh, yeah, uh, taking with you we're like oh we can throw this back at Kurt uh, there you go 
I think the word for me right now would be trust as I'm heading into this next season, um, mm-hmm. simply because um, there's things that are unknown. Um, and um, and thankfully, I've, I've had to learn how to trust in those times of uncertainty. It's not as if there's massive uncertainty. It's just that there's some unanswered questions. And when I was in a a transition two or three years ago, I got what I felt really was a word from the Lord, which was the way is prepared, walk into it. So I'm Mm. just feeling that, okay, I don't know what's going to happen, but he does. And I just need to go after each opportunity that he gives. Like there needs to be discernment there. Um, But generally I want to say yes, rather than no. And, um, you know, just, yeah, sort of look at those things and say, okay, well, Lord, if you're putting this before me, I'm going to take the the first steps and I'll just trust that you will guide the process uh, if I'm Mm. supposed to keep going there or whatever. So, yeah, so that kind of trust is is what I need to live and want to live. Thanks for saying that. I feel like as two people who are in their mid twenties, hearing <laughs> somebody who's a couple years older than us <laughs> say that that is, uh, yeah, like it's it's just a reminder to me that it's an it's a lifelong thing, yeah. and um, yeah, the illusion that somehow we have arrived at some point where we have it all figured out is a myth. Um, so thanks for saying that because yeah, it's encouraging for me, anyways, to hear that. Yep. It's okay. It's an ongoing thing. And Jesus is faithful through throughout all of it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that is the the nature of life. I mean, like mm-hmm. every day there could be a hundred things that could come into our day that would change how that day goes. You know? mm-hmm. And so we can be either rigid, you know, which means we're breakable, <laughs> or we can be flexible and we can be listening, trying to understand, okay, God, what are you doing here? I think sometimes we get the sense that we should be in control. And if something comes in that, that we didn't plan, that it's a problem. Whereas it's most likely an opportunity and God's never surprised by what shows up in our day. Mm. Amen. Mm. This is so good. (laughs) I love it. Um, Where is the best place you've traveled to? I've had the chance to travel quite a bit, which is amazing. Um, I love history and I love new places. I love seeing things, but I do love history. So Rowan and I did a a trip to Greece um, soon after we were married and that was pretty amazing. And I just love seeing things and buildings that have lasted 2000 years. Like that's crazy. Mm. Um, But then I thought, the place that maybe has impacted me most, um, we did a trip to Israel and in general, you know, like they, they sort of speculate where things happened and there's usually a church put up there. So it's sort of hard to picture it, but I'll just tell you about two places in Israel that were significant to me. The first was the sea of Galilee because it's natural and there's, you know, you can stand on the shore Um, where they say, you know, Jesus fed the disciples breakfast after the resurrection, you know, and, and that may be true, but, you know, you can, you can picture it 
because it's just little pebbles and it's water. Like, you know, there's not a monument right there in your mm. point of view. And the other place we visited um, was uh, that impacted me was Nazareth. And there again, there's a big church and there's actually a village that sort of sets up what village life was like at the time of Jesus. But then apart from this, and by the way, Nazareth is like on a hill. Like it's, it's, it's not flat at all. It's very mm. not expecting that. And then, and there's this one place in the rock. It's literally maybe three feet square. It's what they call a wine press, but it's not elaborate. It's just, you can tell it's been hollowed out, just this flat space. And then it's sort of sloped. And then you can tell there's a little channel where the, the grape juice would come out. So I'm assuming they just pile grapes, you know, on this space and people are, are treading the grapes and, and then the, the juice comes out. And I thought it's entirely possible that Jesus tread some grapes right here. So that was pretty impactful for me. Mm. Yeah, I love oh. that. I think I put my hand on it and, you know, just thought yeah. that was pretty cool. That would be a, yeah, that would be a very surreal experience. But like just being there, I think you've solidified it. Ainsley and I have talked about going to Greece and Israel. <laughs> so you have uh, solidified, you're saying Greece. I'm like, okay. Then you say Israel, I'm like, we have to go now. Kurt says, <laughs> Kurt says it's worth it. Oh, for sure. Mm. Well, aside from those fun facts, just tell us a bit about yourself um, and what life looks like for you right now. Okay. So I grew up in Saskatchewan on a farm and, uh, you know, so now living in Toronto, um, it's quite a change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think God prepared me to live in Canada's biggest city um, in that I went, I did a mission trip that included about half a year in the Philippines. So mainly in Manila, which is like, you know, 10 times as big as Toronto and it's intensely populated and it's, mm. it's very compacted. And, so, <laughs> you know, when I moved to Toronto, it, compared to Manila, it feels spacious <laughs> so much, it's, you know, so it, it I think that prepared me to to be able to move here. Mm. Um, yeah, so I, you know, I did, I quite early felt a call to ministry. It wasn't like massive. It's just, it seemed like this is how I wanted to spend my life. And so that mission experience I spoke of, um, I did it in order to help me understand which direction to go. Because this, I was a year with this team and we did ministry overseas and a lot of camp and uh, church ministry. And at the end of the time, I actually didn't have an answer, but what I had was a, a recognition that God could use me in any of those places. And so I felt that it was just up to me to make some good choices, to listen to his voice. And so with that kind of an attitude, I just started following what I felt was the Lord's leading and, uh, and, and veered towards youth ministry. So that's how I ended up in Toronto um, to do seminary and uh, get some more training in youth ministry. So that's how I ended up here. And uh, here's where I met my wife. Um, she's one of the few people who's actually been born and raised in Toronto. So uh, <laughs> that was sort of fun. But even she, her parents actually emigrated from Ireland. So 
you know, it's such a unique city in that way that uh, there's people with, you know, so many different backgrounds and, and I love living here. And then, um, and I got married later in life. Um, we were both 30 when we were married and, um, you know, I wanted to be married earlier. For some reason, I had this picture in my mind that I would be married when I was 19. And now I just cringe when I think about that. <laughs> I mean, who who you are changes so much in your 20s. It just mm -hmm. really makes a, a lot of sense to, to not get married, you know, really early because uh, you sort of change. So you, you want to be the person you truly are before you enter that kind of a long-term commitment. <laughs> anyway, mm -hmm. I, I didn't have a choice. And, and the reason I didn't have a choice was that my mom and dad have a very good relationship. And I... I recognized that even though I wanted to to get married, that it would be really terrible to be in a bad marriage. And so that mm. sort of saved me, I think, from, um, you know, trying to rush into things. And then I just recognized, you know what, the only one that can orchestrate this is God himself. And so he did. And um, Rowan and I have, you know, been married a lot of years and, and we had two beautiful girls in that time. And um, we'll probably talk about this later. There's sort of grief and cancer. It's all part of our story. Um, mm -hmm. I, um, I got involved in a church um, within a month of arriving in Toronto. Actually, I was actually on staff at, as a, a youth pastor. So that's a crazy wow. story how that happened. But, um, and I stayed there for 32 years. Um, I felt that God wow. really called me into that. And, and I, I kept a connection to youth ministry all those years, but my role also changed in a variety of things. And I, you know, worked with mission and, and outreach with uh, families and leadership development. And it's the kind of church that gave me the freedom to um, establish or initiate new ministries to work with a bunch of different teams. It was really a, a wonderful experience. And as part of that, um, partway through is when I did Arrow, the program you guys are in now personally. Mm -hmm. And uh, then after a number of years, um, I started volunteering as a leadership partner. And then, you know, for these last two years, I've been working with the program team and just really love the opportunity to connect with leaders and to be part of their story all through my life, I think, as I've, you know, understood it and developed it, my, my purpose really has been um, to, to develop and to resource leaders. Uh, that's what I want to do. And Errol gives me such a, an amazing platform to do that. So very excited mm -hmm. about uh, the opportunity God has given me. Oh, so cool. It's neat to to see all those little threads. You might, it's funny, you, you kind of shared all that. And it's like, I have heard you talk about little small pieces of that, but to see some of how the, the threads connect together is really neat to get a little bit more of like a, a fullness of your, your journey in a sense. 
Um, so that's cool. Uh, before we kind of get in, like you said, we're going to talk about uh, grief and leadership. And, you know, you know, you said you stayed at a church for 32 years. You learn a lot about leadership to stay um, somewhere for, for that long. Uh, but I love to just hear, um, you know, sort of what and how did you make a decision to follow Jesus? And that you can answer that how you want, because some people are like, this was the moment, you know, for some of us, maybe myself, it's more of a journey. But yeah, what did that, that look like to, to start following Jesus? Yeah. Genuinely? That's a great question. Um, I alluded to my mom and dad. You know, I grew up in a Christian home. And I also grew up in a in a church that sort of, I don't think they meant to, but they sort of glorified the the testimony, you know, the dramatic mm-hmm. testimony. <laughs> the right, dramatic yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And that sort of messed me up, I think, at times as a kid. Uh, Because that's not my story. But with more maturity, I was able to look back and recognize that I've never not known Jesus. Like like my earliest memories, like he's always a part of them. And so, um, you know, he's just been part of my story. And of course, there's there's needed to be times when I affirmed my faith or made it my own. and of course, many times, you know, of confession and, you know, getting back in fellowship with him. But I can't really point to, you know, an event uh, where I accepted Jesus into my heart, which was the language mm-hmm. I grew up with. I mean, my mom told me of a time that that happened, but I have no recollection of it. So <laughs> I don't think of it that way. I think of it as a process. I think of it as a relationship that he initiated by creating me and then walking with me and giving me opportunity to see him in my own family and other people. Um, so then it it really was just, uh, you know, just the struggle then, especially as a teen, figuring it out and understanding if I really, you know, wanted, um, wanted it and, um, and having, you know, just the struggle of being being sure that I was in the right place, but not not always happy there. <laughs> you know, uh, be, that can be a hard place. Um, because mm. You can be you can be sure of your relationship with God, but you can be sometimes miserable in it if you're not fully committed, or if you're sort of looking and saying, "Ah, yeah, but this is what I'm missing out on," and. Um, you know, until you recognize that what you thought you were missing out on was actually not that great and was destructive. And um, anyway, that's sort of a rambly answer. Sorry about that. (laughs) Mm -mm. No, it's good. good. And I appreciate what you said of like, uh, I can't remember what you exactly said, but like with maturity, I can now look back and see this as X, Y, and Z. I think that's a helpful framework that yeah, we can actually like extend grace to ourselves, mm. to our past selves, so to speak, and mm-hmm. hold spaces for that. Because we wouldn't be who we are without going through the, those wrestlings or, um, yeah, figuring things out. I think it's really healthy. So to hear that in your in your life, I think is really beautiful. Um, just the steadfastness of Christ in your life and how you have made that decision to, yep, this is like how I want to live my life and who I want to live my life for. So that's really, that's really beautiful. Um, I would love to hear how you got your start in ministry. You mentioned um, the Philippines, you mentioned, alluded to a crazy story of how you ended up at this church. I'd love to hear that. Okay. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, how I got started, I would say I got started in ministry as a teen without really realizing it. I think I just, <laughs> I just sort of fell into things. Um, mm. You know, my parents were very involved in our small country church in a small town. Um, but I think it was probably more through camp. Um, we lived very close to a camp and my dad was always there fixing things. And, you know, us kids, we went to the work days and, you know, helped out in a variety of ways. And of course I went to camp and then I, and then one summer I was on the sort of the maintenance crew. And then I started, you know, being a cabin leader and that whole thing. But even before that, I think it was just by taking initiative, seeing something um, that I thought could be better or maybe needed something and, you know, mm -hmm. sort of just taking that risk to, to step out and to affect some sort of a change um, or to make something happen. And I think that's what ministry is. And I think that's what leadership is as well. So I had uh, a number of those experiences growing up. Um, and then I think the camp piece was really significant because I, I saw how impactful ministry was. And I recognized, I think, in that season that all ministry is relational. Um, mm. I just really believe that everything flows through relationship. And it was so important to me. And I think also because of growing up in a Christian home, but also then in my school environment, really not having any people who felt or believed the way I did. Camp was somewhat of a oasis, a place to come and to be affirmed and to realize that what I had was very real and worth, worth living for, even through, even though it was difficult. So I think yeah. camp was really important. And, you know, and I think then in my grade 12 year, I just recognized that, like my dad's a farmer, I wasn't really interested in farming. Um, <laughs> I'm terrible at fixing things. Like, <laughs> 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 and uh, anyway, I just, I just recognized that, that there was things that I could do that would be of eternal value. And, and, farming is one of those like my brother is on the farm he's incredible in his work in the church his credibility in the community um he's very much i think a pastor in his family and and to his community um but that just wasn't me and uh so that's why i started taking other opportunities and this mission experience was certainly one of them and i, I have a sense of wanting to be where cool things are happening and, and to experience mm. things and um, to, you know, to a degree to go out on a limb and to, to see what God will do. So that was really formative for me. And um, yeah. And then after that, you know, sort of explained, I had to sort of choose in my way of thinking between mission work and youth ministry. And so I, I felt God was directing me towards youth ministry and, uh, and so, you know, so I, I arrived in Toronto at uh, what is now Tyndale uh, Seminary and, um, and met uh, the youth ministry prof and, you know, God had been doing all these other things in the background. So he'd been aware of this church that was looking for a youth pastor. And I think a number of things they had sort of fallen through in their search process and stuff anyway. He made a recommendation 
um, to the church uh, that, that they consider me. And in like churches usually are really, really slow in bringing staff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and like it takes forever and there's all these, you know, boxes to check and hoops to crawl through and all these kinds of things. And so the fact that I had these, you know, a few meetings with, with the search committee, with people there, and because I really trusted this prof and, and someone who was connected and, and the pastor there at the time was um, from my home denomination back in Saskatchewan. I don't know, all these things came together mm. and it's sort of like literally a month after I arrived in Toronto, I was offered this position and I, I woke up and discovered that I was a pastor and I had never had any intention of being a pastor. (laughs) (laughs) I just was sort of surprised by it all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, yeah, you know what? I just God orchestrated it. And, and I think that's why, even though it wasn't always easy, of course, you know, being there for all, all those years, um, I felt so strongly that God had brought me there that I needed um, a similar strength in understanding that it was time to go. So, mm. yeah. So that that's part of how I ended up in ministry. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And that's interesting. You said it's a similar kind of strength I needed to know when it was time to go. Like that's like a, huh? Yeah. To, to know that like in during it, like as you go through that whole journey of that specific time in your life, like it really was God's mm-hmm. kind of call and leading in your life. That's a, it's oh, a neat picture. You don't necessarily hear about the whole, the whole journey of it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think sometimes people are, you know, they encourage us to be, um, you know, think about your career and, you know, you should be, you know, a little more ambitious about where you're going and, and, and that just wasn't part of me. And it's partly coming from the West. The West of Canada is sort of a bit of anti-establishment, you know, and, mm. you know, it, and so I know that's part of it for me, but also I just thought, you know what, that that's just doesn't sound right. Like it's mm. not for me to put myself out there. I mean, I need to be faithful and I should be innovative and excellent at everything I do. Um, but I, I really sort of resisted that sort of push to to find advancement, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I and I like God just took care of me and uh, mm. you know used me as I look back in some remarkable ways um, in the lives of people and you know like that's pretty amazing. I'm I'm completely happy with that. Mm. That's really good. Um, what have been three transfor- transformational experiences that have kind of changed the way that you lead? I think the first one would be, I was impacted, um, by a leader. Um, it was a youth leader of mine, um, and who's also involved in the camp ministry. It's someone who loved me, um, who loved God first, um, who saw me. Um, and affirmed me um, back to that whole start in in leadership. I think you know he he saw things, gave me opportunity. Um, but I think also um, he was attractive in the way he lived his life, um, just in terms of his marriage, his ministry, his relationships. 
and I just, yeah. So I thought, okay, it's possible to be that kind of a person mm-hmm. and have this kind of a strong impact. I think that desire for impact was very pre- present in me. I'm um, in my Enneagram type. That's actually my thing. And, uh, and I, oh, I hadn't thought about it till this moment, mm. but I wanted impact and I wanted, I wanted an impact connected to God and to eternal things. And I think I saw that in him. Um, I think another experience, more of a process was, um, I, it took me a while, but I recognized that I needed to move away from trying to convince people to join me in the ministry. Um, and my motives were always good. You know, I wanted, you know, more teens to be impacted. I wanted things to go well. Um, but I realized at one point that I was doing a lot of convincing and it wasn't, I didn't have their best interest in mind necessarily. Although of course I thought I did. I thought that would be great for them to be involved in the ministry. Um, I think the shift was I started caring more about the people than the outcomes I was hoping they would be a part of. And that was a trust thing as well. You know, because in my way of thinking, I was sort of letting a great volunteer slip through my fingers if I couldn't convince them to help. And I had to believe, know that, first of all, God will bring the people that he wants. And I need to care more about this person and what what really is best for them. And maybe this is part of it. And maybe if it's not, maybe it's not. But if it's not, I have to be okay with that. Um, and give them the freedom and the support that they need to make Mm. a choice that's the right choice for them. So that was, that, that was important. That sort of came out of, um, I, I figured out pretty early on that I couldn't, um, that my talent ran out very quickly in ministry. There's only so much I could do and that my ministry would be very limited if it depended only on me. So that's why I understood mm-hmm. quickly that teams were so significant. And the, probably the third one would be that I, I finally was able to make a shift to a shared leadership model where I recognized that um, it's not enough to have people on my team. I need to empower people to take on parts of the ministry or even of an event, um, you know, or a camp or whatever it is and, and really, you know, support them, prepare them, but then trust them and believe and and then watch them do a great job and probably a better job than I could do. And that was really motivating to me Mm -hmm. and exciting to see that happen. So, yeah, I think those are some of the transitions in my experience and thinking about leadership. Mm-hmm. What were some, as you, uh, like, those are some pretty significant um, mindset shifts um, mm-hmm. from thinking that, like, I need to do this to, right. uh, like, a different way of thinking. What were some really big things that you noticed, differences in your work and your ministry as you made that shift, which I'm sure it wasn't, like, a one-time thing. It was, like, a, a journey as we're all on. But, yeah, what were some... some uh, differences that you noticed in your ministry as you were serving your congregation and church? Yeah, well, I think they just became served better by me having a team around me. 
um, because everyone has different needs and, and, you know, I can relate quite well, generally, you know, to a group of people. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but that has to stay general because it just can't be that personal. Mm -hmm. And so I think when I started bringing other people close to me, who then became close to other people, the ministry just really expanded and people were served by people that they resonated with. Mm. And, uh, and, you know, and then there was just a diversity, first of all, of people themselves, just in terms of background and experiences, but then a diversity of the gifts that they brought. And um, yeah, like it, it's just so much better together than, mm. than trying to do it on my own. And mm. it, I think it probably also had the effect of making ministry more fun, more enjoyable because mm. um, of the collaborative nature of it and, and taking some of the pressure off. Um, and I just loved, I love working with teams. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be a solo printer. You know, I want to mm. be, I want to work together with people and, and see God do stuff together mm. with us. Yeah. Um, that, that's what's motivating and encouraging and life-giving to me. It's mm-hmm. good. It's almost like the gospel we're living it lived out. <laughs> it's almost like that's how God designed it to be. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you know, it's, it's not hard to ignore that for, for years, actually. Mm-hmm. You know, and just try to do things on our own and try to control things. Yeah. What was, what was that process like for you? Because it is in a sense, like an unraveling of ourselves, of having the blinders, God in his gentleness and grace, but also like, um, sometimes tough love, like removing blinders off. Like, what was that process like for you? Hmm. Yeah. Humbling at times. Um, Yeah, self-awareness is huge. And, um, you know, some people really hate, you know, those kinds of exercises or or what, whatever. And, and I've always had an openness to it. Mm-hmm. And so I started developing things quite early. I just started keeping a file with certain things that were meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, I'd go back and look at the file and, you know, sort of say, yeah, that's really true. Um, and, you know, I should do something differently because of this. I think self-awareness really helped me. And I think that desire for impact also helped me because when I recognized that other people, um, were really effective, um, then what became more important to me than doing it myself was that it be done, you know, that Mm. the impact was experienced. And so, and I just recognized that it was you know, um, God was powerfully at work in other people and I wanted to facilitate that. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's mm. not, it, it's such a growing process. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. But God, it's all God's grace, right? That's really cool to hear. Yeah. Hmm. You mentioned beforehand that um, kind of in a, your little introduction to who you are and what life looks like for you, that grief is a part of your story. And so mm-hmm. I just wondered if you could talk about that in whatever depth you feel comfortable and how in like in general, difficult seasons and things in life have changed you. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. Um, yes. Yeah, so um, 
while my wife and I were expecting our first daughter, mm-hmm. um, uh, we discovered that, uh, that Rowena had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And, um, so yeah. So right after Justina was born, um, you know, she had to go into treatment and all of that stuff. So that was just sort of harsh, you know, at that mm-hmm. time of life. Um, but we managed it. We, you know, we moved with faith through it and a lot of support from our church and our families. Um, and then, um, and we weren't sure because she did the whole chemo and like, this was years ago when chemo was even more terrible than it is now. Mm -hmm. And so we weren't sure we'd be able to have another child. And so, um, when Romani became pregnant with our second girl, Bronwyn, that was such a celebration. Um, but about five years after her first cancer, she had another cancer. Um, and so that was just hugely disappointing. It's sort of like, come on, you know, like isn't once enough, you know, was probably my internal feeling about it. Um, but anyway, we managed that one too, with two little girls, um, And then Rowena had a a break from cancer. Um, But since then, in these last 10 years, she's had two more episodes. So, you know, that's just an ongoing reality within us. And it doesn't get easier, but it's, you somehow learn to cope with it, maybe. But what was um, even more devastating was when our our oldest girl, Justina, when she was 10, she had a seizure and we rushed her down to sick kids and had discovered that she had a brain tumor. So, and it was like, it's sort of like the worst brain tumor you can have type of thing. And it was, uh, so that was a, that was a really rough journey. Um, and yet filled with grace again, just in terms of how God met us and met her and her resilience through it. She never admitted to being sick. You know, people would, you know, use that word with her and she would say, I'm not sick. You know, (laughs) you know, she's like, I have this picture of her skipping down hospital corridors, going to radiation treatments. Like Mm. she was truly amazing. Um, So she went through all kinds of treatment and, you know, the healthcare system was phenomenal with her and other support systems and our again, our families and our church. And um, she basically had a year of treatment. And, and then, you know, so then life sort of settled into the way, you know, we thought it should be. And she was well, and, you know, she had no deficits, which is remarkable. She'd had two surgeries and all this treatment. She was incredibly bright and her personality didn't change, which was a great fear of ours because that can mm-hmm. happen with that kind of brain surgery. Mm-hmm. So she, who she was didn't change. Um, and so we got to, to be with her for five years, um, understanding and getting to know who she was. And then when she was 15, um, there was a recurrence of the tumor, which was really brutal um, to experience. Um, and obviously for her and so yeah so that was that was rough and you know the end of the story is that 
Oh, and by the way, like there was so much prayer and faith going on through all of this right from the very beginning. And so, you know, we re restarted all those prayer emails and updates and everything and, and had people literally all over the world praying for her. Mm. Um, but this time, you know, the answer was no. And, um, so we walked with her through treatments again and, um, you know, I had the, the joy of baptizing her during that time. Um, but she died when she was 16. Um, and her, her life and how she lived it, um, all of it, but especially that year, I think was quite impactful and God used it in significant ways. But that's, you know, that's grief. Um, like grief is, it can be all encompassing. Um, I think God gave me the ability to, I've, dis, I've read it as described as airtight compartments. I could, I could be in a little compartment and just be awash with grief, but then I could step out of that compartment and live in a different emotion and in a different way. And I could do what I needed to do and I could be there for my other girl and, you know, we could be a family and, um, all that other stuff. So it's just, you know, I think what I learned about God through that is, is that he walks with you through grief. He gives you strength, um, to deal with it. He brings people around you to share the heavy load um, he doesn't condemn you in your sadness mm. or, um, you know, I never had the feeling that God was telling me to get it together type of thing. Mm. Um, and I came to the place where I could enjoy things again, look forward to things, certainly look forward to reunion with Justina. Mm. And I think God gave Rowena and I the capacity um, to become better rather than bitter through the, um, through the ordeal. And I think it's because of faith and because of our mutual support for each other. And, and we had so much great support from, from people. Um, but it is something you don't wish on anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet we all have losses and griefs in different ways. Um, and they all matter to people like, and they can all be massive, you know, it's just when you, when you have some of those, but you have something like this in your past, then you have perspective, but you know, when you don't have something even more terrible to compare your grief to, like you have to be honest with your grief and live with it, with whatever it is, um, and so in terms of how it changed, you know, the way I, I serve and lead, I think it made me more compassionate. Um, and I'm more able to, well, I think it increased my love for people. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it made me more authentic. Um, I'd had people even earlier in my life say, Oh, it looks like, you know, 
nothing's going wrong in your life type of thing. I think it gave me a different um, opening um, to serve, to be real with people, to be credible. Um, yeah, it's hard. It's been hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, one thing that I've noticed um, as you share and, um, you know, even you mentioned that authenticity, um, which is like, thank you for that. That's a gift. And um, the way that you you sort of honor the pieces of your life and your daughter, especially like I remember the first time you introduced yourself to us, you know, you said, uh, I have two daughters and one is with us here on earth and one is not. Um, and the way that you, you carry both of them with you and have, uh, you know, not, not swayed away from, I think of, you know, this may be a little bit stereotypical, but how, you know, we have that typical, like, Hey, how are you? Or nice to meet you. I'm so-and-so. And this is what I do for work. And that's the extent of it. But to, um, yeah, bring yourselves into people's lives, into people's lives and say like this, this is me and my story and what it is. And, uh, you know, not every detail in every moment, but, um, yeah, just that, that willingness to hold, um, honor to, to the good and hard things. And, um, the 16 important years that your daughter played in your life. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it's like to carry that kind of, um, a story, but I just, I really appreciate, like you said that, um, yeah, the, the authenticity and vulnerability of just, yeah, being real with the people that you walk with. And that's, um, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily common to live that way. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. You know, it's hard for people who've experienced a deep loss because they don't want to make other people uncomfortable. Mm. Um, you know, so it would be, it'd be easier just to talk about Bronwyn, you know, and not mention, you know, that I'm the father of two girls. Um, but yeah, I just had to make a choice, um, that, you know what, it's like, I'm, I try to be sensitive in the way I bring it up. And I, and I don't look for opportunities to bring it up with you guys, with that arrow, you know, I, I wanted you to hear a bit of my story. Um, but in general conversation, um, I never bring it up, but if someone asks me, like, especially when you meet new people, you know, they say, Oh, do you have any kids? You know, like, so there, every time I have a choice, like, mm. what am I going to say? And I've just early on made the choice to say, uh, yes, you know, that I have two girls. And, but even then, if that's, if they're really not that interested, it'll just stop there and that's mm-hmm. okay. But then if they start asking more questions, like what are they doing? Where are they at? You know, then I'll go into it a bit more and I'll just, I'll do it in a way that's not asking for their sympathy. This is just part of my story. And uh, yeah, you asked and here's the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's really interesting. Um, Yeah. And and even to hear you talk about just how that journey of, you know, cancer and loss and grief and, you know, seasons in and out of that over the years. And um, yeah, just to think about, you know, you can hear about it now in hindsight, but just to think about how you, you really, you lived every single one of those years. Um, And that's, it's a long time and that's a lot of things, um, you know, just to think of how God was shaping you as a person. Um, 
in the midst of those things and clearly shaping your family too. As you said, you got, you got the chance to baptize your daughter and things like that. Um, what is, is something or maybe multiple things that, uh, you learned about God through that season that you didn't know before that? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think just his nearness to mm-hmm. me, um, you know, that he was feeling the feelings with me. Um, like I don't in any way believe that, that God caused that cancer to happen to Justina. Um, he wasn't surprised by it. You know, we live in a fallen world. Um, you know, things are messed up biologically and all that stuff. Um, that that is a hard thing to work out though um did god you know well i never really even asked did god cause this i didn't believe that was in his character but i do have to acknowledge that he allowed it um and then he walked with me through it one of the ways he prepared me for it was probably a couple years before i just in my uh, times with the Lord, I, I was developing some, some statements that I believe to be true. And one of them was, um, that I believe God to be completely trustworthy. And that was sort of suggested to me by something I'd read or something someone had said, and I'm, I didn't, I wasn't really buying it completely. I wasn't sure Mm -hmm. I believed it. Mm -hmm. So I had to really work that through and truly believe that God is good and that he is fully trustworthy. So like he knew I needed to, to truly wrestle with that and experience it and believe it. And I think that's why I was able to weather the storm, so to speak. And the other thing that I, I think is true is like, I picture, you know, to use the storm analogy, you know, I picture being on a mountain on a hike and, um, and a crazy storm comes up, um, you know, our inclination is to, you know, you don't try to get off the mountain. You, like you, in that moment, you sort of cling to the mountain. And I see God as the mountain. I need to go to the mountain for shelter, for strength, um, to just throw myself or abandon myself, set myself adrift to all the emotion, to everything that's bombarding me would mean to be lost. And so, you know, I think early on also from John six, um, when Jesus had just spoken to the disciples, given them the body and the blood analogy, which was so crazy (laughs) and hard to understand. And pretty much everybody except the 12 left and, and, you know, and Jesus turned to them and said, well, you know, are you going to go too? And, and Peter said, well, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Like there's, there is nothing else. And so even though I don't understand, um, there is just no other alternative. Like I just have to believe that you are completely trustworthy, even in this, and that you chose to allow this in our lives um, that you will bring good out of it. Um, and that, you know, that you're, you're God in it. 
And so essentially it boils down to deciding, will I be with God through whatever comes or will I cut myself off? And uh, the only fear I have in life is being separated from God. I just want to thank you, Kurt, for um, number one, sharing pieces of your story, but significant, deep, brutal pieces of your story. And also that you don't um, slap a bow on it and be like, but this is what I learned. Woo. Um, I don't <laughs> I don't hear you say that, which I think is sometimes tempting to. Um, I don't know, maybe people hearing um, really, really difficult things in people's lives. Um, but like, what did you learn from it? It's just like, no, it can, it, it can be hard and it, that's, it's yeah. okay if that's, that's all that it is. Um, but to hear, hear the way that uh, I just, I just see God's kindness and grace and, and the way that you exude that both. Um, yeah. I'm going to get a little teary out here too. It's just his kindness and, um, yeah, I just really appreciate the way that, yeah, thank you for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for being interested and, and listening to my story. I haven't talked about it for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know what? It never gets easier mm-hmm. you know, just because it's so significant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't hear, but... Um, how uh, maybe I'll ask you, Kurt, from um, we have a couple questions here, like so soul care um, uh, question. What would you say to 25 year old Kurt? And then we always ask everybody um, the best piece of advice you've received. Um, mm-hmm. Is there one of those questions that maybe resonates a little bit more with you or um, maybe I'll just give you like ask you where uh, the direction that you'd like to take this conversation from here? Okay, sure. Yeah, well, I don't mind just, I'll just mention something about soul care that is part of my experience that that might help other people. Sure. It goes yeah. back to that, to my ideal day with the purposefulness and randomness. Mm. Uh, because I had, you know, growing up, I, I just had this um, expectation that I took upon myself, you know, that I should be really, really disciplined in my quiet time and it should always be the same and at the same time and all that kind mm. of stuff. And, you know, my random personality actually demands some sort of systems or or I'm going to be in real trouble. Like, it just won't happen. The way I've been able to sort of come to peace with it is that on certain days of the week, so on the days when I'm sort of doing, like, work, work, I sort of see as the days when I I try to be more um, structured in my time with the Lord. Um, And so I do have... You know, I do have um, certain things that I that I read that I go through, um, you know, certain scriptures that I meditate on or, you know, I'm reading scripture in a certain way. <clears throat> and and I know I need that because without a system, um, it's just not a lot of good's going to happen for me because like I just won't get to it. But then on my off days, like on a weekend, then I give myself the freedom just to to not do that stuff, to be less disciplined, um, to maybe, you know, just go for a walk or to just do, um, 
part of the things I usually do, or just to read scripture with, you know, not trying to study it, not reflecting on it, you know, like I just give myself permission to do different things Mm. that are still important, still valuable, that they're relational between me and God. Um, But uh, it it sort of gives me uh, that freedom to not always have to feel like I'm not measuring up to a certain standard because I'm actually choosing to do something different mm-hmm. on this day. So anyway, that, that could be helpful to people. I'll just wrap up with um, the, the idea. I love the question of what would I say to a 25 year old Kurt? And uh, you know, my answer would be to step out in faith and to be more willing to risk, but at mm-hmm. the same time to do things today that will strengthen you for tomorrow. And that would also come into sort of the best advice piece. I tend to be goal-oriented. I love setting goals, but I tend to be not very good at reaching them. And what I've realized is that what is much more valuable than setting a goal is developing a system that will cause you to become the kind of person who would achieve that goal. So I still believe in setting goals, but not without systems to get there. A goal on its own probably, at least for me, often ends just in disappointment. Um, It's much more valuable to actually um, create systems that um, put me in a place where I can be successful at those things that I want to be or um, put effort into becoming the kind of man I want to be. So that's some great advice I, I got that I'd love to pass on. Mm, well, that's really good. And um, yeah, even just to think about, you know, how you said the the things you do today that will strengthen you for tomorrow. And you can think about that as far as your goals and um, yeah, also how those things help you weather the seasons that you, mm. uh, I imagine, wouldn't have anticipated the things that you walked through when you were 25. You wouldn't have uh, foreseen uh, that that would be your story. And, and yet God, like you said, uh, clinging to the mountain as you walk through that. I love that image, um, you know, clinging to the thing that you maybe feel like you should run from, but actually will keep you safe amidst the storm mm-hmm. is really beautiful. So, uh, thank you for, for sharing your heart and your story and yeah, a really blend of, of practical things of, you know, I've learned these things about how I'm wired. Um, but on this other end of just saying like, uh, sometimes these things and the grief and the sorrow that you carry it, it just is. And it's, it's not easier. Um, and it's just, it's just part of what I am and to hold those things together, um, in a really beautiful way. And just your, your willingness to, to open up to us about all of those pieces. Uh, we, we really appreciate, um, yeah, just, just who you are and how you've opened yourself us, up to us. So uh, thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome. I just really am amazed at what you guys are doing and uh, just encourage you to, to keep it up. And it's such a unique venue to, to bring um, interest and hopefully wisdom and um, laughter and whatever it is people need. I, uh, I'm just uh, really impressed with um, with this part of your ministry. So thank you guys. Oh, thank mm. you. Thank you. 
Thanks so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We have more amazing conversations like this coming up that you won't want to miss. So make sure you subscribe on whichever podcast platform you prefer. And you can find more info, resources, and reminders of episodes if you find us on social media at Just Work Friends. So until next time. Bye. <laughs> Have a great week. Bye, girly pops. <laughs> Bye, girly pops. <laughs> Uh <laughs>